0: Hello and welcome. I am Joe Magician and today I have a special treat for you all. With Game of Thrones sadly over until House of the Dragon, wink wink, are looking for what will next fill their yearning for grand epics. Some are looking for more medieval sword swinging fantasies like The Witcher, Lord of the Rings, and The Vikings to keep that sweet Game of Thrones juice flowing. But today I'm here to recommend something else entirely. The Amazon sci-fi TV show called The Expanse. If you've never heard of it, though, you're in luck, because joining me today is noted the Expanse fanatic, and I would say expert, Ashaya of the History of Westeros podcast to go into it all. Ashaya, how's it going?
1: Hi there. I am very excited to talk about the Expanse, especially considering that the new season, season four, just came out. We're not going to get into spoilers on that, but uh, suffice to say, I am in full Expanse mania. And yeah, I'm a huge fan of The Expanse. I got the opportunity to interview a couple of the cast members at DragonCon last year. And I'm pretty sure I've probably gotten at least 30 people to watch the show so far, based on how many people, you know, messaged me about it. So that's great.
0: Unfortunately, Isha is not wearing her Expanse flight suit today. Kind of a bummer.
1: You're right. I should have worn it. Only you would have seen it. But you're right. I should have.
0: Would have really been great. How dare you? Anyway. (laughs) I mean, most people know you for obviously for history of Westeros and your extreme Game of Thrones knowledge. I don't think quite as many people know that this is probably your true passion at the moment.
1: The Song of Ice and Fire is still my it's my number one fantasy, but The Expanse is my number one sci-fi. So I can easily separate them in that respect. But uh, The Expanse is really, really good.
0: And as we'll talk about, it's actually pretty similar to A Song of Ice and Fire. So it makes sense for that crossover. I guess the big question is, if somebody's going into this video, they've never heard of The Expanse. What is it? Like, it's not a very descriptive name. If you've seen the posters, maybe you can guess. But if you had to very quickly summarize The Expanse, how would you do it?
1: Like A Song of Ice and Fire, I would say that it's very much about, you know, different political factions and war and conflict. But ultimately, it's also about how they need to come together to... Fight to deal with a mysterious, magical or substance in *Song of Ice and Fire*. That's the others, the White Walkers. Mm-hmm. In the Expanse, it's this mysterious proto molecule, and you don't know much about. But it seems to be breaking the laws of physics. It, but it is not technically. It is not magic. Uh, so starts with that. But meanwhile, you also have. Those political factions aren't just, you know, the Westerlands, the Stormlands, like, very equivalent nations. Mm -hmm. You instead have Earth and Mars. Mars was terraformed, and so they've become their own nation. Both of them are mining resources from the belts. They've lived there for, like, a few generations. And their bodies have started to even change to adapt to living in space. You know, their bone density Mm -hmm. isn't as high. It's very much hard sci-fi in that they... And so I would say The Expanse is very political and Mm -hmm. it deals with um, allegory for modern day. But it's also very much about the characters.
0: Much like A Song of Ice and Fire, it shares the multi-POV structure. And it also uh, follows very differing plot lines that you kind of can't believe are actually connected in the end, but end up getting there. It's um, very much like how Arya this like screws off for three books and all of a sudden she's coming back into the main plot. And just for the the setting of where the expanse takes, near future, and they don't quite have light speed yet. Yeah. Everyone travels around on spaceships. I would say this is mostly similar to uh, maybe Firefly.
1: Yeah. Except I have to say, in terms of Firefly, I watch Firefly, I watch Serenity. If we're looking into the future in space, there's going to be some other races.
0: Yes, there will be. That's true. There's going
1: to be a lot of Asian people. There's going to be a lot of Indian people. On that subject, the Expanse is a diverse and you know forward-thinking look at our future that is, I think, very accurate.
0: It's like a, a more thoughtful look at that kind of near future sci-fi yeah. spaceship. Uh, kind of a uh, some people call it a space opera. You could also call it a space western. Yeah, it has the same kind of ideas. It's got where... horror
1: in it too. Here, a
0: lot of horror. Yeah. yeah,
1: a lot of mystery. A lot of mystery, noir mystery in this in the first book in the first season but i think it's really interesting too how each book and each season has a you know a little bit a different flavor of different genres you know like you said so it's a little bit of a western and frontier the expanse does get into that sort of thing and it mm-hmm. has elements of of just straight up disasters
0: i think one main difference between The Expanse and Song of Ice and Fire is that Song of Ice and Fire starts famously with the others showing up and then it goes back into normalcy. The Expanse does the opposite. I mean, there is a very scary opening scene but literally nothing's explained and then it ramps it back up. It's like they took a, a small part of the opening prologue but decided to connect it better and then slowly build up to the strange things. Because when when I actually, when I first started reading The Expanse, which is actually not that long ago, I read it and I was like, oh, cool. This is another near future sci-fi thing. Not quite like Martin's Thousand World, maybe something closer to Orson Scott Card's series with Ender. And it was like, oh, mm-hmm. oh no, <laughs> this is very different. <laughs>
1: I have to say that it just keeps getting more epic in scale. I think it's no spoiler to go into it. It's the opening sequence to know that there is a substance called the proto molecule and yeah. As you go forward, season to season, book to book, that's a Mm. lot of time for things to scale up (laughs) because they they do outdo themselves and it's not in a contrived way whatsoever.
0: Definitely not. It it feels very natural. Uh, One question I wanted to ask is, how did you actually come across The Expanse?
1: But I Mm -hmm. I honestly don't remember if it was just advertised to me and it was appealing to me seeing it advertised. I mean, it's all these women. It's very diverse. It just looked like a good sci-fi show and it was on the sci-fi network which was a big turnoff so i'm really very happy that i took the plunge
0: oh so are you saying you're a dirty show fan you're you're not a book first no
1: i'm not what i'm absolutely not but i did finish all the books that were out by the time the season was over (laughs) i just could not stop myself
0: I had a similar experience. I finished the first book and it's not that, it's not a small book. No, It's like uh, three, four hundred pages. I think I finished it in two days. Yeah. And I was uh, we were actually DMing why this happened. Oh, I'm starting it. And you were like, oh, tell me what you think. And it was just like pages of me like trying to guess what was happening <laughs> and clearly I ripped through that book. I haven't been that hooked by a book series probably since The Song of Ice and Fire, which is high praise because yeah. I actually do read quite a lot, but I start series and then say, this blows and then let it go after the first book. This one's got me. Yeah.
1: And I think there's a bunch of other reasons we could attribute to it being as engaging as The Song of Ice. and It's often touted as Game of Thrones in space <laughs> and it's its own thing, but there are definitely some striking similarities.
0: Let's go into that now. Let's talk about the history of The Expanse, the books. And it turns out the writer of The Expanse, well, the writers, because they use a pseudonym, are very deeply entwined in George's world, uh, written by James S.A. Corey, but that's actually a pseudonym for the two authors, Daniel Abraham and Ty Frank. The two of them have a long history with Martin. Actually, Ty Frank is works as one of his assistants. They play their board games together. Daniel Abraham has contributed to wild card. He also wrote the Game of Thrones comic books, which was...
1: yeah, And is a known fantasy author in his own right. Mm-hmm.
0: Martin, as well as Frank and Abraham, do take a lot of effort to try and make it feel at least believable what you're reading. They're not inserting math or physics really, but they are trying to be like, what would it really be like? And that comes through, I would say in Martin's and The Expanse pretty strongly.
1: In the show, they take great care to do that. So I think it's even more uh, in your face when it's visual. There has to be even more care taken with some of the realism of the science. And the really cool thing is that the showrunner, uh, Naren Shankar, is an actual physicist. I and mean, they have lots of other scientists that work on the show.
0: There's an awesome quote from an interview that Ty Frank did with Lightspeed magazine where, He said, we never wanted scientific rigor to get in the way of awesome. And I think that's the perfect way of describing it. It's close enough that it feels real and that it's fairly awesome.
1: Yeah, and of course, this is a very fun fact that I think all fans of The Expanse like to share, is that the setting for The Expanse was really fleshed out in uh, a (sighs) role-playing game with George R. Martin. Originally, Ty Frank, um, he created the world, like just a bare-bones version of the world for a a game that he wanted to make, and a company was interested in, in it, but it came to nothing. So he continued to use his notes and decided to use them for both an online RPG game, like Post to Play, and an in person <laughs> game. The in person game got George R. R. Martin to join, Daniel Abraham, and they each played as different segments. Uh, Mar- George R. R. Martin was in the group that was playing as a certain detective on Siri Station. This is a belter character mm. who, if you do end up reading the books in the show, is known as Joe Miller, played by Thomas Jane. George was involved in creating him.
0: I don't think a lot of people know that that George is an RPG junkie. Yeah. Since he's <laughs> all throughout his, uh, his life going to conventions, dealing with other authors... Like, that's what Wild Cards is. Like, people are like, where did this weird story come from? It's an RPG game. Daniel Abraham came in later, according to Ty Frank. He started off with the game first. The actual novels came together between the two of them. And they started off with Leviathan Wakes in 2011.
1: I read that when Abraham was playing with him, he talked to Ty and he was like, you've put so much work into this. You need to make this a book. (laughs) <laughs> like, what are you doing? You put so many Good notes. Advice. He's like, most people never, ever, ever put this much work into a game. Fun. But as, as the books go forward, they add more POVs, as you would imagine. The first book is... You know, very bare bones, very sparse. Yes, as it, as it fast, yeah, though. as it introduces you to these characters, keeps you in just a couple of POVs. Uh, as for example, the fifth and sixth book had far, far more POVs than the previous book.
0: They learned the wrong lesson from George R. R. Martin is continuing to throw on the POVs. <laughs> oh God, <laughs> <laughs> gonna end up with another Miranese Not in the Expanse.
1: Well, because it's interesting in the Expanse, a lot of like the characters come together. And that's great to see how they converge, but it's also, of course, interesting, Fire, to see when they split up and how they deal with things alone. Which is why they Mm -hmm. then need to add a POV for when a character is not with our current POV character, like what happened with Sam Tarley.
0: And I would say this is maybe one of the best times to get into the books in the show, because as you said, there's eight books total, but the last one's coming out this coming year in 2020, right? it looks like, right?
1: Yeah, yes, exactly. But the
0: show has not caught up. It's only on book four or five.
1: Yeah, they've finished book four, but it's a little fuzzy because they do adapt the different and short mm-hmm. stories, and they tend to move some things, you know, back forward around a little bit. Um, the authors are in the writer's room, so mm. they they know what they need to get in there, what's important, and what can be moved around. For example, in book one, they introduce one of the best characters, um, Avasarala. She's amazing, she's one of the the leaders of the UN. Oh. She is a foul-mouthed, swearing woman, this Indian elder woman. She's, she's amazing. She's one of the best characters ever in existence. She isn't in the story in book one, but they felt, for example, in the show, you need to see Earth, and she is a POV in book two. So, hey- Let's hmm. put her in in season one of the show. That makes sense. And th- there's a bunch of other characters that they do that too. But she's the perfect example because I really think you need to have that uh, perspective.
0: Characters are actually quite a diverse yeah. group. There are the Belters. Then there's also uh, characters from Earth, like James Holden. And I, yeah. there's kind of a hidden character, I would say, in this, that much in the same way you see in a lot of shows, like um, even like Star Wars with the Millennium Falcon, or you see with Firefly, the ship Serenity. Their ship, the I'm gonna try and get this right. The the Rosinante? Ross... no, Rosinante. Mm-hmm. Ros The Rocinante is very much a character onto its own. It's the setting and a character at the same time, which is something I really love from these kind of sci-fi stories where the ship becomes so much more than just a way to get from A to B.
1: Yeah, if you ask one of the main characters, Alex, he would definitely agree. He has a very close, he's the pilot and he loves his ship. He talks to it. It's a great little thing.
0: Oh, that's just adorable. Mm. Just a little love story going on between a man and his <laughs> show. Let's go from the books and let's start talking about the show itself. So, how did it get started? Where is it now? That kind of thing. Ashaya, go.
1: The interesting thing is that, like many shows, its licensing deal was not the best <laughs> for it or oh boy. for the network so when sci-fi bought it they didn't have the streaming rights exclusively it isn't a worldwide distribution how are they supposed to ever make their money back how is this a good situation it isn't amazon wanted it but they didn't end up with it they had some of the streaming rights uh they didn't reap the rewards that they needed to and so in season three partway through season three at which point it was it was already good. The expanse just gets better and better book from to book, season to mm-hmm. season, but it has this certain middle point in season three where it just rockets up to new heights. And right after that, sci-fi announces that they've canceled
0: it. Out of nowhere, the internet revolts.
1: Yes, internet revolts. They do a save the expanse campaign, hashtag save the expanse, and They raise enough money to send both... They send a little Rocinante ship to space, (laughs) like actually to space, and they uh, fly a banner that says, hashtag Save the Expanse, in front of Amazon headquarters. Everyone was trying to get it renewed, and Jeff Bezos, as it turns out, is already a big fan. At an event advertising for the Kindle, he had... A screenshot of Leviathan Wakes Mm. as the image. So he's read them. He loves the show. He was trying to get it originally, but they didn't fight very hard for it. So when it was canceled, apparently he has a lot of friends and family that are (laughs) also really into it. And he said they were all knocking at his door like, hey, are you going to save this? (laughs) And so it happened at like this perfect time where everyone was on his case and he liked it already. He got the deal. But he decided to do it very dramatically, too. They were at a space conference, and the actors, the cast, had no idea that he was actually going to pick it up. Like, he'd invited them. And then he goes on stage, and he announces, we've, we've saved the Expanse. <laughs> and there's a video of the cast members flipping out. So I think one of the reasons that that fans of the show and the books, myself included, are so passionate is that it was almost just taken from us. Like, we, we know how terrible that can be when the show that you love is just canceled.
0: 130,000 fans signed a Change.org petition for Amazon or Netflix to renew the show, and it says that Bezos noted fan of trying to mine the asteroid belt at this point
1: i know yeah it is uh, unfortunately a bit ironic that a show that is making such a strong political commentary on the abuse of people yep. for resources uh is picked up by a company like this yeah
0: it's uh yeah jeff is yeah. um Apparently enjoying different parts of the Expanse than other people, I would say.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I would say so.
0: Uh, We recently finished Game of Thrones. And part of the issue, I would say, with why people were so upset with the way it ended and the last few seasons, is that Martin himself did not end up very involved after about season four. Ended up being Dan and Dave sort of grabbing the baton and finishing the series while Martin worked on the Winds of Winter. That's not an issue here, is it?
1: No, I mean, not only are the books being released quite on time, steadily, and they had a good buffer in the first place, but like we said the authors are in the writers room hurrah that is always great news <laughs> and so there are things i have to say you watch in season 1 i wonder what the answer to this mystery is and then i read the books and i got like four books in and it still had like that mystery hadn't been referenced in the books i i just kept thinking i guess they added that i guess i'll get the answer in the show one day and i was kind of confused And then book five comes around and that whole little mystery comes out and you realize, oh, they were just better at laying the clues now. (laughs) So they knew to put in season one, a little hint about something that you were going to learn in season five. Mm -hmm. So those are the kind of things that they're able to add to earlier seasons just by being in the writer's room and by being able to say, Hey, Let's add this thing. Or hey, this is really important, you guys. You cannot remove this character because this character is actually gonna come back in four books from now. You can't kill them off, say.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Or you can't combine them into one Uber Gendry or anything like that.
1: But much like Game of Thrones, there is the law of conservation of characters. You do have to reduce it sometimes. And The Expanse does it as well. They just do it really well.
0: Really well, you say, as in comparison to something else Yeah, Uh,
1: yeah, I think I can very much say that one of the main differences between A Song of Ice and Fire and The Expanse is honestly, nothing, very few things are as well written, as intricate, have as beautiful prose as A Song of Ice and Fire. Mm -hmm. And The Expanse doesn't compare. So if you're if you're reading A Song of Ice and Fire for that, that isn't what it is. But, for example, compared to Game of Thrones... I think it's better. It's a better show than Game of Thrones, but A Song of Ice and Fire is, a, is still a much better series.
0: I got that sense, too, when I was reading uh, Leviathan Wakes, where... It's it's a very fast, more action-based series than A Song of Ice and Fire, mm-hmm. where, especially when you get to like A Feast for Crows and A Dance of Dragons, a lot of the plots become very insular. You get inside the characters' heads while they're thinking and traveling.
1: Yeah. We, that's
0: not the expanse.
1: Yeah, but it's, it's lovely. I love that in A Song of Ice and Fire. I love the time to breathe and to really take it in and descriptions and all of that but it's 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 different than the expanse. although I will say going forward, as characters deepen and you've been in their heads for a while, it does get closer to a song of Ice and Fire mm-hmm. in that respect, which you would hope that would be the case.
0: they're <laughs> going they're becoming better writers as they go, yeah. Early books are usually... I would say uh, even a Game of Thrones compared to A Dance with Dragons, there's no comparison. A Dance with Dragons is way better written.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that as well. And like you were saying with the multiple POVs, one, that's very similar to A Song of Ice and Fire, but two... The so-called villains are included there, and you just begin to discover just how gray they are, and that's another uh, comparison that I think will appeal to just about every fan. I think that's what a lot of us are enjoying about A Song of Ice and Fire, is uh, the complexity of the character's other similarities, and this one is not a very important one, but I think it's neat, is that there is a language in, yes. a, in the Expanse. Yeah, There's a language, and you can learn this language, just like you could the Thraki or High Valyrian.
0: One of those cool people knows how to speak Klingon. That's what we're going to do right <laughs> here, but it's going to be way cooler because Ashaya is doing it.
1: Yeah, so they have Belter Creole, or Lang Belta. Like we've talked about, there are the oppressed Belters, and so they came from a bunch of different cultures and so there's a lot of different words from different languages kind of made into this pigeon and so let's let's hear me mangle something
0: you guys are in for a treat shea is gonna speak belter
1: go that means happy new year and okay it's good right like my, my belter is good my my lang belter
0: that just sounds like it's good right yeah,
1: yeah. it sounds like it which is the great thing about pigeon is that when you hear it said and you know like little bits of different languages, it clicks for you. Like I grew up in Hawaii where they have a pigeon, like a Hawaiian pigeon, mm-hmm. where, you know, you'd be like, I know Kea. And if you see it written out, you're like, what is this? <laughs> A-I-N-O-K-E-A? What is that? But it's, I don't care. It's just, I don't care. I know Kea.
0: <laughs> Definitely makes sense once once you hear it. And I actually say when you're talking about a song of ice and fire i don't think valyrian and dothraki are particularly pronounceable yeah like they are so foreign from english it's really hard i don't understand what they're saying it doesn't even sound like words i would understand
1: it's a little easier if you look at you know the duolingo courses or something like that and you look at the actual you know conventions and grammar of it all um it's i think I think all languages are a bit intimidating to me but yeah if I studied it I think I could easily speak Thraki or High Valyrian I would love to be able to speak all gutturally like that and just really terrify someone <laughs> you know tell tell them I'm going to rip their heart out and they'll have no idea all that
0: it's coming soon on history of Westeros uh, podcast. The Shay is going to bust out some Dothraki for no reason. One thing you referenced early on that I think is very true is that the political intrigue in the various factions is when you read A Song of Ice and Fire, it's very clear who the good guys and the bad guys are. The Starks are the good guys, the Lannisters and all their allies are the bad guys, and everyone else kind of exists in between. When I was reading Leviathan Wakes, not only did I not know who the good guys and the bad guys were. I wasn't even sure if the char- if the characters I was reading about were even good people or somebody I should be rooting for. There were so many decisions that they made that went back and forth, kind of Tyrion-esque, uh, especially James Holden. Mm-hmm. He, made a, he made a lot of interesting decisions in that first book and especially um, Joe Miller. The way his character develops during his investigation and how he's reacting to other belters, he comes across as pretty much a terrible person. And it's much more, I would say, a morass of characters and political intrigues, because when Earth and Mars start getting involved with the belt, I don't even know who to root for.
1: You can't even decide to root for the oppressed, which would seem to be the Belters, because they're fighting with each other, they're doing some pretty shady things, and among all three of them, they're doing things that are going to endanger the entire Solar system potentially, mm-hmm. and certainly both Mars and Earth and the belt, it could just mean all of their destruction. So whether they're in the right or wrong about something, they just need to put it aside.
0: Exactly who you should root for if you're trying to k- translate from *Song of Ice and Fire*. I will note that Brendan B. fish is a Mars fan, so
1: <laughs> you can use
0: that as your guidepost for how to interact with all of them. The noted Stannis fan.
1: Mars is very Stannis-like. I mean, they're very much about duty. They're very, like, about doing what you're supposed to do, community. The interesting thing about Mars is that they are in the act of terraforming Mars. Mm -hmm. Think about uh, something that generations have to undergo. That is the act of, you start something knowing you will not live to see the end, but that your child will continue to work on that. It's, you know of great cathedrals for example in our past just the idea that it's not going to be finished in your lifetime you're going to raise up your son to be a stonemason and that's what's going to happen but it's throughout the whole society and that is beautiful like that shows a certain you know quality of character for all of the people who are able hold up to that I, I, anyways I can see why Jeff likes it you
0: can see why he likes Mars
1: I, I like Mars too like I wouldn't want to live in Mars exactly on Mars it is in Mars because they're not above you know they're not just out and about but I have respect for them I have a lot of respect for Mars I wouldn't want to live in the belt I would want to I, I would want to live on one of the the moons like Luna there's also obviously people living on different uh, moons orbiting yeah. like Luna
0: There's science stations out there, there's secret space stations, there's colonies everywhere, people just living off chunks of rock out in the belt, all sorts of things. And I think they really did a good job of putting identity on the different factions. It's very obvious what the identity of the belt is. Through Miller, you learn a lot of that. But Mars comes across as super nervous, I would say. And they're very defensive. And they've responded to that because you were talking about their terraforming and the fact that they're so reliant on the belt Mm -hmm. and Earth... Their technology is so much better than everyone else's. Well,
1: yeah, <laughs> sort of
0: <laughs> it's it's it seems that way. They make a big showing of power and sort of the little brother syndrome against Earth.
1: Yeah, I would say that they have this technology that is particularly good when the series starts mm-hmm. off, right? Having good technology is what allowed Mars to secede from Earth in the first place. That when the Epstein drive, a drive that allowed people to actually travel far distances within the solar system, was created, they were able to one-up Earth, mm-hmm. basically, win their independence. So Mars is very focused on having that upper hand. And that is true in our world that countries feel they need to one up each other or have equivalent uh, weaponry military forces because the other one does. So yeah, Mars is does not have did not have as many people or as good of an arsenal as Earth, but they've built up. Which is great for everyone, right?
0: Sure, it's working out super great by the end of Leviathan Wakes. Earth is, of course, the um, sort of the sleeping giant. I mean, Leviathan Wakes uh, refers to something in particular in the book itself, but it also is kind of referencing Earth, that they had sort of let Mars in the belt do their own thing. And they're the Leviathan that's sort of waking up into the story. There's a lot of rivalry, obviously, between the Belters and Earth and Mars but it really comes across the characters coming from earth think they are superior to everyone else and it's very much like a free folk versus the northerners versus the southerners versus the valyrians kind of thing where there's elements of racial and nationalism that comes through in a way that i don't think most people would think about in terms of once everybody's so spread out like when wouldn't everything just merge into a melting pot kind of like the belt well no there's always elements of haves and have-nots and people having local pride in that going into policies.
1: Even though racial tensions are pretty much eliminated entirely because everyone has interbred with each other, there are still tensions, like you said, between the different factions. And so it shows that humanity still never really changes. We want to look down on someone, hate someone, think stereotypical things about them. They are developing different mm-hmm. physiologically, like, which would happen if, if people just grew up completely in space and they didn't have access to good medication because they're poor. They don't have good bone density drugs, as is one example. Mm-hmm. Then they're not going to grow the same way that an earther would.
0: Yeah, definitely. There's very much a uh, John and Egret style story that happens uh, right in Leviathan Wake's where Earth character and Belter character end up having to get over their own biases about each other and sort of kind of don't. It's it's very interesting how that goes. We've been talking about the setting and the technology and like the meta things, but what really draws people, I think, into The Expanse is the characters and the actors that play them. Because of the way the, the books are set up, you see it from James Holden, the captain of the Rocinante. He's in some ways a bit of a Jon Snow dumbass. Where he doesn't quite get things right away that are right in front of his face.
1: He is actually space Jon Snow. Is he
0: really? They actually cast somebody to look like him. Perfect. I nailed it. It,
1: it. He really looks like him. He really does. People call him that. I mean, he's all broody. He's he's so much like Jon Snow. Oh, that's
0: Stephen Strait, right?
1: Yeah, Stephen Strait. He's of uh, he's much taller, as he always says. People will <laughs> ask him about it, and every time he replies. But much taller, because he's like 6'2". I
0: actually remembered him when I saw this picture. I was like... That's the dude from Sky High. That's War and Peace. Yeah,
1: it's War and Peace. Yep, exactly. I know him so well. It took me like halfway through the season before I realized, and it was so hard to shake that off, off of when I was watching him. Uh, But anyways, continue. I just, when you said Space Jon Snow, I just was like, wait, you haven't seen the show.
0: No, (laughs) I just got that from the book, (laughs) From, (laughs) from how much he missed and kind of the noble but dumbass decisions he makes sometimes. But I would say my favorite character that from his perspective was probably Amos. And he's the the ship's engineer. I usually am drawn to those sort of characters. Like one of my favorite characters from Fireflies, Kaylee. It's that kind of thing. But they especially went out of their way to give Amos a lot of depth and secrets. But he doesn't seem like he should because he seems like just sort of a simple like wrench-turning engineer sort of guy. There can't be that much to him. And then as the story goes on, there's these sort of moments where he does more than you think he should based on what you've been told about him and especially when other characters like joe miller when he meets amos he's suddenly afraid of him i was like wait what <laughs> that guy like the the guy that fixes the engine that's the one in james holden's crew that he's worried about oh, that didn't yeah. seem right that didn't seem right to me but oh. it's one of those things that got my got the gears turning and especially the way he interacts with everybody else. And this sort of seems to be a, a dark past, but like, so I mean, it's trying to run from that to be a good person, which is not James Holden.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I will say, the show also it does a better job at setting up these characters to give you that sense of them. In book one, your understanding of the rest of the Rocinante crew is, is shallow. Very shallow. I think. It's shallow, um, but... Whereas in season one of the show, even for people where it takes a few episodes for it to get going, definitively season one of the show gives you a much better introduction to what the series is, Mm -hmm. which also you had the question like, do you think people should read or watch first? Right. And I honestly think it's a really hard question to answer. And I do think the majority of people, it might be better for them to watch it first. A rare example (laughs) <laughs> of, But I think it'll really pique their interest. If they watch season one of the show, for example, and then they read the books, then they will have a lot of clues already, and so they'll be really excited for uh, that to play out in the books. Maybe someone wants to see all of the show before ever reading the books. In which case, they are fools. I, I don't <laughs> like that. <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be so long from now.
0: It will be a long time. <laughs> uh, but that's one of the cool things is... Like, a lot of fans came into Game of Thrones as show uh, fans first, rather than book fans. I mean, Song of Ice and Fire sold very well, but nowhere near as many people read those books as have watched the show. Yeah. And But there's a certain kind of person that loves spoilers, that loves to know what's coming ahead of time. And luckily for The Expanse, it's so far ahead with the books that you can do that. You can be the person looking forward to things, imagining how it's going to be adapted, but You could also go the other way.
1: That is a very good comparison to Game of Thrones, again, in that if someone asked me, well, should someone read or watch Game of Thrones first? Watch, yeah, obviously watch. watch. (laughs) So that is, it makes me feel better about saying it about The Expanse.
0: There's also quite a lot of, I would say, in the at least in the first book, of things that I could tell they had a really good idea of how it looked visually and they were trying to tell you about it, like uh, different battles and different ship maneuvers that I know would look incredibly cool. Mm-hmm. But it's it's text, so yeah. I'm kind of like making them fly around in my head.
1: Yeah, when I read books, I have to say action sequences, text sequences, I'm very good at just like my eyes just kind of <laughs> just go past it. So... Maybe that's why I read books so quickly.
0: True, they talk about a lot about uh, different kinds of weaponry, and they talk about the way ships interact there's a lot of naval terminology that just goes over my head it's
1: great for them for people to reading sci-fi who are scientists or who have been in military situations who actually sign off on it and be like this is is pretty strong nothing's ever going to be perfect it's it's fiction
0: and i I would say one thing in um the credit the expanse is it seems like a lot of people i know in the song of ice and fire fandom that are um have military backgrounds really love the expanse There's something that they got right about that, which I don't quite, I don't know what it is, but they're all reacting to it. Uh,
1: I can't personally relate either. Yeah,
0: not my thing. What's your favorite character from the main cast? I went for Amos. He's off the table. Who do you got?
1: I'm going to go with from the characters you're introduced to in season one, which is not necessarily book one, but roughly the same. I like Alex, the pilot. Interesting. He's he's a Martian pilot. He has a thick Texan accent. He's Indian with a thick Texan accent because... Oh, I didn't catch that. Mars was colonized by
0: a bunch of Indians
1: and Chinese people and a small contingent of Texans and their accents really proliferated. And so there's a a good amount of Martians with accents. Um, and he's one of them so I love his accent and he's a he's a guy that's really really a lot about community mm-hmm. and about fostering family and I just I, I like that in particular. Um, he's, Pretty minor in the grand scheme of things. So, as a very, uh, a more major, major character would be Avassarala, the character that you haven't reached yet, but no, is in season one her. of the show. She is a POV. And again, she is essentially the most important person on earth. One of my favorite lines of hers that she says to Holden is Don't put your dick in it, it's fucked enough already. <laughs> That's what you have to look forward to in see in book two. Oh boy. She, she's a POV character, and she's just she's so good. She's so good.
0: I can not imagine how much Holden must have fucked something up.
1: And, and the actress is Shore Agdashlu, and if you know her from anything, she's got this deep, throaty, raspy voice. Like I one of the best voices ever. Amazing voice. Where she's a very elegant, powerful-looking woman. <laughs> And she wears these beautiful saris and gowns. Like, she's very feminine and, while also, you know, swearing like a sailor and <laughs> basically running the goddamn planet, as she would say.
0: So, like, Asha Greyjoy <laughs> with power?
1: Yeah, closer to that. I'm trying to think. I, I, she starts off a little darker earlier on with a little bit more of a vendetta. So, you know, her character changes. You'll have to see who, as she mellows or hardens who she's more like. I don't want to spoil. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm interesting but
1: she's very interesting character Actually, so want to bring up one last thing though that i never brought yep. up that i love mm-hmm. about this show is that it shows people doing human things hmm. you know like a lot of science fiction and fantasy just tv in general like media doesn't show maybe because there's more pressing things going on but people have fun they play games and sports they have a dating profile if they're trying to date They're space
0: tinder are you telling me there's space tinder there is
1: there is <laughs> they drink alcohol they're characters that actually make drugs or do drugs like Whoa. one of the characters has like he reveals he's like oh i, I grew some marijuana in my closet <laughs> in school you know it's stuff like that and i think that adds a certain level of realism that I just particularly love, and it's it's very minor, though. But watching it or something and seeing some kids playing, like, they're using tablets, basically, like, screens to bounce mm-hmm. this holographic ball back and forth oh. while they run around. Like, just little thing like, what would people play in space? Uh, things that can't fuck things up. Things that can't mess. <laughs> <this>. <laughs> but, yeah, little hitting a ball against a wall in a very confined space.
0: I can see that. That's that was one of my favorite things from uh Firefly that didn't really go over into a lot of the other similar shows like Battlestar Galactica where Battlestar Galactica is emotionally charged from start to finish. Like there's some downtime in between, but everything's really dramatic. But Firefly has entire episodes where they're doing nothing. Yeah. Or and that—that's the entire thing. It's like a Seinfeld episode in space. So that kind of stuff happens here. And
1: even for example, Star Wars, which is a space fantasy, but still, they—you see little space chess or a cantina, Mm -hmm. like they're you know a club basically. You see some look at people have lives. (laughs) They—they aren't just working and on these ships all the time.
0: Although I will say that by the end of Leviathan Wakes. There is a point where james holden essentially goes like wow a lot's happened to us like this is really like too much for one person and a bear And it was kind of like a fun meta commentary on itself like <laughs> yeah these characters these guys are actually sort of living in a video game or like just such heightened stakes that while the things we're talking about are in between they're still large things happening things that are really interesting and actually hard to figure out while you're reading as you can attest from my many wrong guesses about what was going to happen
1: <laughs> yeah they were very funny <laughs> your, your guesses are going to change so much from season to season two because you just have there's just no way you're going to predict how things progress honestly you think you know but then it's even wilder than you think you know
0: <laughs> even wilder than i think i know wow
1: and you feel so like you think for for you it might be differently wild to be honest
0: i have a pretty i have a pretty wild imagination as uh, yeah. my subscribers can tell you
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah maybe more so differently wild i don't know
0: well so definitely after all this if you haven't if you're not convinced to watch the expanse i don't know what else will go watch it go pick up the books they're relatively cheap themselves you can get the you can watch the show on amazon prime streaming um, okay, why I want you to do all the plugs and tell people where they can find you.
1: Uh, you can find me over at History of Westeros. We have a YouTube channel and a podcast. You can find us on whatever podcast player you use and find us over on YouTube. And I have a Twitter at MiraneseNot. Knot, I suppose. I can mention that. I rarely <laughs> do. I often tweet about the expanse retweet things about the expanse I it is very apparent like bat said that it's one of my main fandoms so if you're into the expanse go message me over there you can tweet at me with any questions please come yell at me if you hate the expanse and I can convince you why you're wrong
0: wow harsh words A is coming at you if you don't like the expanse
1: well, first, first they have to come at me and then I'll come back hard.
0: You ball hard.
1: Are you Real quick, before we... Be, are you, I never asked you, are you going to read all the books and novellas before you watch any of the show? Or are you going to intermix them? What's up?
0: My plan is to... I, because I'm me, I have a new take on what I want to do. I'm going to read a book and then watch the season it corresponds to and then go to the next okay. one. Okay. Because you, you, people have told me, unlike Game of Thrones, where it's... It's sort of one book per season, but towards the end, it's not, it kind of slides between yeah. them. The Expanse sticks yeah. relatively book to season, so I can do that.
1: No, The Expanse does not. Oh, it doesn't?
0: Well, maybe that's wrong then. No.
1: I would say you read the first two books, watch the first two seasons. Okay, I can do that. That's, that's fu- Then after that, you can talk to me again, but that's for <laughs> sure. Because uh, characters are introduced in season one, like I said, who are P- POV characters... So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, yes, I'm glad I asked you. Read the ne- read the next book.
0: <laughs> uh, Caliban's War. That's the next one I'm going to read. Plus all the novellas and the prequels and stuff like that. I can go get those.
1: Yeah, yeah. Definitely the prequel novellas read, you know, ASAP. You know, they're super relevant. The Turn and the mm-hmm. Anderson Station.
0: Thank you very much uh, for coming, Ashea. And hopefully after I watch another season of Expanse, maybe we'll have Asheia back on and we'll talk, yeah. we'll talk some more about it and we'll actually be able to talk about spoilers which we basically didn't this time.
1: Yeah, we did a pretty good job with that, I think.
0: This was a shortened version of the conversation that Shay and I had. The full version is available on my Patreon. Sign up today at patreon.com slash joemagician you can hear the full cut, including me getting yelled at for my apparently bad Star Wars opinions, a lot more detail about the background of the Expanse, and more. You can find this at patreon.com slash joemagician at the maester level. Excited and want to check out The Expanse but don't know how? You're in luck. There are links in the description to The Expanse on Amazon Prime Video and affiliate links for the books. Using those links is a great way to support the channel and get all the amazing sci-fi you can ask for. What if you're more into listening than reading? Again, you are in luck if you go to audibletrial.com slash Magician and sign up for a free trial. You can listen to book one of The Expanse, Leviathan Wakes, by James S.A. Corey today. That's audibletrial.com slash joemagician to get your free trial like to thank my patrons who support me and the growth of this channel. In particular, I'd like to thank my Grand Maesters, Steven Stark, Grand Master of Dragon Lore, Here Be Dragons, and Sue the Fury, Grand Mistress of Whispers, as well as my Arch Nessie the Questing Beast, Arch Maester of Valyrian Tinfoil, Aaron M, Executive Assistant to the Slack, Brendan Beefish, Right Farter of the Fandom Truth, K C D, Leathery Wings, Maester Mary, Nauticast, Lady Shar, Mother of Dragonflies, Sanrixtian, Mother of Dragons, and Zombie Jesus. Are you a quick brown fox lady?
1: No, no, I'm a, you know, Moses supposes his toes are roses, but Moses supposes erroneously, because nobody's toes are posies of roses, because Moses, blah, 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 I don't care. It goes on. Wow.